This is the Creative Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lopez. Hope you enjoy this podcast. It's set up and designed for coaches, leaders, and influencers to share their stories and inspire others to share their stories as well, that we can all learn together as a community and get better every day. So thank you for listening. You're season two. Today's guest is Jay Billis. Jay is a college basketball analyst for ESPN. We talked to him today about the importance of good leadership, to test your position and thought, to be a guardian of your environment, and that you should focus more on what players value. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and you look to get better every day. I got to go to work. Welcome to the podcast, Jay. Thank you for having me. Good to be with you. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I want to start off like I do every other podcast, Jay, in that. How were you introduced to the game of basketball coming out of San Pedro, California? My mom saw an ad in the paper when I was in third or fourth grade for, for basketball tryouts for the local, you know, kind of bitty league. And she took me up to the local high school and I tried out. And I not only made the league, but I made the travel team. And I didn't know what that was. They called it a conference team. So I, from the first day, I played on a, a travel team. And we played from fourth grade through the end of eighth grade. We played 50 games a year wow. uh, all over Southern California, sometimes into Nevada and Utah. So it was, uh, we, we, had a, we had a lot of, lot of miles on us by the time we got to high school. Yeah, that sounds more like trial by fire. First uh, kind of uh, introduction to the game. You're playing. You know, some coaches always talk about how it's better to play than it is to do anything else than to train. But sometimes I think kids are overworked. And, you know, you have a lot to say about that as well. But uh, that's great, man. Sounds like a great introduction to the game. Now, uh, overall, your experience as a player, because your career is well documented at Duke and and all that. But I want to know from your perspective, your lens, what was your experience like? It was great. Uh, I don't. I don't ever remember not loving the game and not loving being around it and being around the people who loved it. So, from the time I was a little kid, uh, I loved everything about it. Um, and it was. It was just what my friends did. Yeah. You know, we all played, and uh, and it was that way through college. And you know, you're around people who um, you know have the same passion for it that you do and most of my college teammates oddly enough stayed in basketball you know we all either went into coaching or you know broadcasting front office work uh, and and you know I've talked to a lot of them about it and most of it was because you know we had such a great experience uh, you know in our time playing that we wanted to wanted to keep in the game yeah no we were in a zoom call a while back with Kevin Sutton and his living trophies collective I'm so grateful that Kevin is in my life as a mentor. And uh, one thing you talked about was an experience in high school about a coaching experience. And I kind of wanted you to run that down for us a little bit real quick, briefly, because I think it was really important to hear that going from that experience to experiencing Coach K. Like, what was that? uh, You know, how, how did that transpire? Well, it was basically from, you know, I, I speak at clinics uh, now and again, you know, my age. And, and, you know, you talk to young coaches and, and everybody's trying to 
figure out a way to get ahead and, yeah. you know, wanting to be, you know, wanting to be at the level they dream of and all that. And, and I, I always kind of think about what coaches say and what coaches complain about. And a lot of coaches say, uh, you know, only 2% of high school players or whatever it is, a very small percentage of high school players are going to go on and play in college. And I always try to point out, well, if that's true, then don't you as a high school coach have an obligation to make it a great experience for everyone? Yeah. Because there, there, are, there are only a small percentage that are going to go on. And so the idea that somehow you're preparing the folks for the next level, you know, that's really by percentage, not, not the case. Yeah. And I always talk about my high school coach that I had, I played on a great high school team. We had a, a number of guys played division one and went on after high school, but my high school coach wasn't a good one. And, uh, you know, it was difficult uh, for all of us to deal with. And he made it a, a, a miserable experience to play for him. And, uh, and none of us had a relationship with him after high school. Um, we endured him because we had to, we had no choice. He was what stood between us and playing. And, uh, uh, and, you know, it was a shame. And, and first of all, it wasn't right. And, and I actually had the principal of my high school. I went to a funeral of a, a teacher of mine years later. And the principal at my high school came up and apologized for, the experience that we had with that coach wow. and uh, pe- people knew it like yeah. they knew they knew about him yeah. and nobody did anything about it and and it was wrong and and so you kind of the point I was making with everybody wasn't to boohoo about my you know difficult experience <laughs> it was it was that that you know think about how you want to be remembered by your players yeah um that that in later years, like none of us, you know, we still talk about, you know, what a bad experience that was. And it was a great experience with, you know, our, all of our, my teammates, we all had a great experience with one another, but uh, we had a horrible experience with our coach and, uh, and it didn't have to be that way. It wasn't about X's and O's. It wasn't about whether we won or not. It was how we were treated and we were treated badly. And that was never, you know, it, was, it shouldn't have been acceptable at the time. And it's certainly not acceptable now. And you, you want, you know, young coaches to think about that, that, you know, this is about more than wins and losses. It's about more than climbing ladders. Uh, you know, it's about how you, you treat people in your, in your charge. Yeah, no, there's that saying that goes, uh, people don't remember the last thing you said, but how you made them feel when you were in their presence. And sometimes that's, as coaches, we do we do our job of the X's and O's, right? And so we feel, you know, I guess, uh, I don't know, we feel like, we're okay, we're good, we're official now. Uh, but yet there's that other part of it, the mental health right now, especially with young people, the experience, the idea of uh, leadership. Uh, you know, we look in our country, we see a lack of it. And so we don't want that to translate into, you know, all leaders, all authority figures are inept, incapable of leading, and they're just about themselves. And so I think it's, it's, really, it's really important that coaches listening right now really take, uh, take inventory of how you're doing things, how you're operating, how you're being the CEO of your team and your program. So, yeah, Jay, thank you so much for sharing that because I, I really felt like that was uh, pertinent to everything that I do as a coach and I think other coaches do as well. Now, what was your experience as an assistant with Coach K? Because that's something that I think most coaches listening could only, you know, imagine. What was that like for you? Yeah, I probably learned more about basketball uh, as a grad assistant than I did in all my years as a player uh, because you were looking at the game holistically and 
uh, you know, game planning for opponents. And uh, so every aspect of the program and then, uh, you know, you had to be, uh, you had to have an understanding of and, uh, and then you saw all that went into it, you know, that, that the players, at least uh, when I was there, the players were provided a certain level of, um, you know, game planning, but not overburdened with a, with a scouting report. Right. And it was just enough so you could, you could do your job without, you know, sort of overthinking things and not reacting. And, um, so you saw how, how all that worked and how you processed, uh, you know, situations and, uh, you know, handled adversity and, and how, how Coach K did it. And you got to see it from behind the scenes. So that was, that was a, a great education for me. And then, and then understanding how other teams went about it, uh, that was my, you know, really my first introduction into, you know, studying other programs and the way they did things. Uh, so it was, it was a great education more than anything. Fantastic. I like what you talked about, holistic approach. That's something that's a, it's a, it's a buzzword in a lot of areas in life, whether it's health, uh, all that, and, and how we coach and there's really not that. I mean, it really isn't that a lot of times in programs and in situations. And it really needs to be, I think, uh, because you're talking about overcoaching. Like, you weren't overcoached. The kids weren't overcoached. They had the freedom to still, you know, uh, be who they were. That's why they were brought in. Otherwise, they would just be robots. And I don't think any coach wants to uh, interact and produce robots. So, yeah, I hear you 100%. Now, do you have a memorable moment of your first year as a grad assistant on that bench, you know, in that system where it was like, okay, I'm not a player anymore. I, I do have some responsibility. I do have some authority. Uh, was there anything like that that really kind of uh, was an eye-opening moment? Probably my first year when we were in uh, we were in Maui and I was doing, uh, we had a, something called a zigzag drill where you, you do defensive slides. And then the, the defensive player and offensive player would switch and then they'd, you know, go back again. And so we had an odd number of players. So as the, you know, youngest guy on the totem pole, I had to jump into the drill. <laughs> and so I, yeah. I jumped into the drill and then, uh, and then, you know, as soon as we got to the other end, I, I switched and all of a sudden I was doing the defense and coach K kind of at, at the end of it said, you don't need to do the defense, make the player do it twice. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. You know, I, yeah. I was like, you know, it, it, it was just, you're like laughing yeah. at, at your, your lack of experience and how I was still kind of looking at things as a player. And I had to, you know, okay, I have to do my part here instead of, no, I'm supposed to be, this is a defensive drill. Make him do it twice. Yeah. Yeah. No, your competitive juices start flowing, man. And you get back in the thing and you're, you know, working up a lather pregame acting as if he's going to call you in at some point. So, yeah. Yeah. And I was too young to, I was too young to turn around and tell coach K. I was showing him the technique. Will you back <laughs> off a little bit and let me do my job? Wow. That would have been something. I'm sure you wouldn't have lasted <laughs> long on that staff. Had you done <laughs> He would have laughed at that. He would have laughed at that. <laughs> good stuff, man. Really, really good stuff. Now that those are the times I think, as coaches, we sometimes uh, we forget about because we get so caught up in the day-to-day, -day, but it's always good to reflect because uh, that self-reflection really brings you back to your why and really your how. We talked earlier about your how, and sometimes you need to reflect on your why because moving forward, it's going to impact people's lives uh, negatively or positively. Uh, there's never an indifference about people in this game and how you lead them. There just really isn't. Now, at your position now as an analyst, right, 
and you're very influential and you and I think you have a grasp of how influential you are because you seem to be very self-aware now how influential can you be in that position you know with the platforms that you perform on yeah I think the whatever influence there is comes from you know the fact that uh, that it's on the ESPN platform so you know, I'm paid to analyze the game and give my opinions on the game and, and whether it's certain policies or whatever. So I, I do that. I try to do it in a thoughtful manner, but I'm not shy about saying what I think. Yeah. Um, sure. But sometimes I think sometimes I think people, you know, take that the wrong way that, you know, when I when I stand up, when somebody asks, well, what do you think of this? I don't say, well, you know, uh People have different opinions, and and so I can see both sides of it. And I say what I think, you know. And and why why should I hedge? Now, when I'm in a, I'm also on an NCAA committee. I'm on the NCAA's competition committee, so we deal with actually the actual rules of play. So when you're talking about a rule in a in a in a setting, or maybe a rule change, where you're trying to build consensus, you're very diplomatic about things, and you 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 do things a different way. But if somebody asks your opinion, like, what do you, you know, if somebody says, do you like cheese? You're not going to go, well, you know, I know some people like cheese. I, you know, I'm not a fan of it. You say, no, I don't like cheese. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, and, and that's sort of the way I go about it on the air. Uh, because it, nobody's asking for me to moderate a discussion. They're asking for my opinion. So I right. give my opinion and I, I, I say what I think. Yeah, it's all about the foundation of the question. And as you kind of, you know, people, you talk about being PC and, you know, very sensitive. But if you're thoughtful enough, like you're talking about, you can give an opinion that isn't going out and seeking, uh, I don't know, adversity, seeking any kind of uh, just hype or panage. And so, yeah, your opinion, everybody, we were always taught your opinion doesn't matter. But uh, I think somebody with that influence in that platform, uh, your opinion. Well, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Okay. Game's going on, and there's a block charge play. Yeah. How many times have you heard uh, an analyst say, well, it's a difficult call. It could go either way. <laughs> yeah. Was it a block or a charge? Yeah. You know, like, like somebody's got to make a decision. Yeah. So you're allowed to say that was a bad call. Yeah. Now, you're not saying bad referee. Yeah. You're just saying bad call. Bad judgment. You know, no. Yeah, nobody seems to, to have a problem when you say, hey, bad decision to throw the ball into the post at that angle. Should have taken one dribble and got a better angle. You know, that was a that was bad, bad pass. Yeah. You know, nobody has a problem with that, but you can't say bad call. Wow. Of course you can. It's either a good call or a bad call. So, you know, th- there's no problem with that. But if you're always hedging, then you're not, make, you're not saying what you think. And there's nothing wrong with saying what you think. And the person at home who's listening can say, he thought that was a charge. That's ridiculous. That was a block. That's fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's just one opinion. But why Why hedge on it? Why, like, you know, sort of be mealy-mouthed about it by saying, well, there's a great official. I'm not sure that call was right. You know, you don't have to say great. First of all, you don't know whether the guy's a great official or not. <laughs> like, I'm not a – I don't rate officials. I don't, I don't study that stuff. Yeah. I can tell whether a guy stepped out of bounds or not to say good call or bad call. That's yeah. fine. And I can sit and say on the air, um, you know what? I understand what replay is about. This is taking too long, and this is bad for the game. Yeah. This, this is not the right way. Replay should not work this way. Yeah. And if you can't figure it out in that amount of time, 
then go with the call on the floor. Like, there's nothing wrong with, with that. And if somebody differs, that's fine. But, but you don't have to bring in every differing opinion. Um, I can see how, I can see that other people may differ and look, this is a very difficult situation and, and boy, this is the way the rule is written and I understand, no, you don't, this is taking too long. You know, people relate to that. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, you're, cause you're killing the, the flow of the game. You're killing a, a run maybe for a team. And also it's just, uh, like you said, it's not needed. It's not necessary because we went years and years without instant replay and the game was just fine. It didn't fall apart. Uh, maybe there were some injustices here and there, but they, th that was the exception. That definitely wasn't the rule. So, yeah, I, I completely hear you. Now, what's the correlation between your experience in law and practicing law and then presenting content to viewers? Because you're, you're again, presenting, uh, you know, maybe arguing a case, whatever the case, whatever it may be. How do those two correlate? Yeah, I think presenting an argument, uh, a coherent one, uh, was helpful uh, in my law career. And then I'm not really concerned about, like, I don't get nervous on the air. Mm -hmm. uh, I've stood before, you know, judges and on the, the, you know, the, in federal court, state court, uh, federal appeals court. Uh, so I don't get too worried when a little red light comes on on a camera. <laughs> um, it, it, I was I was a lot more nervous in those settings, right? Uh, so that was helpful, uh, and I, and also being able to I think uh, maybe being a lawyer helped me in understanding that just because you argue a point doesn't mean you're arguing with another person, right? Like you know, you and I can argue a a, a very uh, sort of complex political point of view and still go out and have a beer afterwards and be best friends. Like right. hey, just because we argue about something doesn't mean that, that you don't like me or I don't like you. That's not the way it goes. And, and so I think law school really helped me with that, that there's nothing, it's actually helpful. If you have a, a if you have a point of view or if you have a, a judgment on a certain issue, I think it's, it's really healthy to argue it with people who differ because yeah. that way it sort of stress tests your position mm. and you either you either modify your position and say hey wait a minute that that's a that's a better way to look at it or I, I actually agree with that or I haven't thought about it that way or it solidifies that your position's right because the argument doesn't move you if you're an open-minded person and uh, so I think it's really helpful to argue things out and I, I, I actually do that a lot my wife probably hates it because I, <laughs> I do that a lot with sort of the way I, if I have certain issues that, that I wind up having to talk about on the air, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to her a lot about it and, uh, and say, where, what am I missing here? And, and uh, I think those are helpful ways to go about it. Law school, I think, was, was beneficial to me there. Yeah, you talk about testing your position or your ideas or your thoughts or your paradigm. Uh, the best person is to probably go to your wife. She knows you better than anybody else. And... She probably was not afraid to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you but still love you at the end of the day. So, yeah, that's great. Now, dead or alive, you know, living or not, who would you want to walk you through a 94-foot segment? Uh, probably uh, John Wooden, Dean Smith, uh, um, uh, Henry Iba, yeah, yeah. Uh, John McClendon, mm. you know, Coaches like that, that, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can get to the living ones. I'd probably want to get to the ones that, that I didn't have the opportunity to 
to do that kind of thing with. I mean, I was fortunate. I'd, I'd met Coach Wooden several times, and, and I knew Coach Smith. Uh, I had met uh, Coach Iba, but didn't didn't know him. I just met him uh, and never had the opportunity to meet Coach McClendon. So that, I think that would have been would have been really cool. Uh, Clarence Gaines would have been would have been awesome. Uh, I love I know John Cheney, uh, but before he had retired before I started that whole ninety four feet thing. So I would have loved to have done it with him. Like going to one of his practices at five thirty in the morning wasn't pleasant getting up, but <laughs> but it was really yeah. really cool to to be at. And he was he. he has been and remains one of a kind. Yeah, no, for sure. The persona, the uh, just what he brought to the table. I mean, I've heard from his players, some of his ex-players, and they're just they can't speak any more highly of him and esteem him very highly. So yeah, I, I can understand that. Great, great group of coaches that you named off right there. Solid guys, uh, Mount Rushmore type guys. Now. What would you say, you know, I, I hear people use the word culture a lot, right? Culture, culture, buzzword culture, and it's used endlessly. Uh, what other term would you use to describe culture that wouldn't get so watered down, if you will? Just environment. Like, what kind of environment are you creating for yourself and for your, your team and your people? And, and you know, culture is about what you believe in and, and what you accept. You know, what are you willing to accept? Um you know, I, I don't. I, I think we we have a lot of sort of leadership terms now. They're all important and they're great. Um, but as a coach, you're you're kind of the guardian of of the culture of the of the environment that you're in. And I think you have to be aware of, of what's going on around you and the relationships that are formed and uh, how you know how things are being done. Yeah. So having an awareness of what's around you and, and uh, you know, you have to trust your people, but at the same time, be aware of, of what's happening when, uh, you know, when you're not around. And, and those are, those are important functions of it. But, um, you know, really, I think culture and environment, whatever you want to call it, it's about the people that you, that you have. Yeah. So the, the people you hire, uh, the, the players you bring in, you know, in high school, you don't have control over the players you bring in, but you certainly have control over the players you keep. So, uh, and there's more to it now. You have to be concerned. You know, culture extends to the parents, um, I believe, that because the parents have, you know, more influence over their kids than you do. For sure. And uh, and so you certainly have to be aware of, of, of that. And they have they have more of an interest in the, in the, the players than you do. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things is, is sometimes coaches believe that their word is law <laughs> and, and it's not, yeah. um, you know, they like, like the, the, the players are more precious to the parents than they are to you. And, <laughs> and so sure. I think you need to, un- I think you need to understand that and their interests need to be taken into account, even if they're wrong. So that you can help educate them as to, to your point of view being the right one. Yeah, for sure. Like those are those uh, here again the holistic approach, the family, the, the everything that's involved in it, uh, getting a, a real perspective of how things really work, not of how things work in your bubble. Uh, Got to kind of burst your own bubble and wake up to the fact that other people are involved now like what you said you're talking about what you allow and accept into your program as that saying goes what you allow you accept and so yeah it's really important for coaches listening like if you want to set up your culture your environment you want to foster a healthy culture and healthy environment 
whatever you allow, you accept. So you know, kind of be mindful. I like that guardian to be a guardian of your of your program. Good stuff. Now, Jay, as an advocate for players, right? Because I know you have a strong stance on on student athletes even being called student athletes because of the money that they generate for each institution. What do you feel the NCAA and coaches can do to enhance their experience and foster environments of growth and opportunities? Well, they can they can do whatever they want. Um, that's the thing. It's like when I was in school, my coach knew what I wanted to do after I was done playing and, and helped me find those kind of opportunities to, to be able to, to advance, advance me achieving that goal. And, uh, uh, you know, so if you think that's important, you can certainly do that. Um, you know, but I think, I think you have to have a, a vision beyond uh, the game if that's what you, you believe in. Um, but, you know, we see coaches now, uh, I think, I think more than ever coaches realize that the players have, um, interests that, that coaches need to align with. Yeah. And, and they, they have, um, you know, they're more socially aware, I think than ever. Um, and part of that has to do with the environment around them. Um, but I, I think, I think most coaches need to, uh, or not most coaches, all coaches need to have an understanding of what their players value. Yeah. And, uh, uh, that's important, but I'm not, I'm not so worried about, um, you know, I, I think coaches finding opportunities for their players. I mean, if, if you're interested in their growth, not just as players, but overall, um, you'll, you'll help them and you'll, you'll help them find the opportunities that, that they need. Um, but it means being aware. You have to have an awareness for what, you know, what's important and what, you know, is this just about basketball? If it's just about basketball. It's fine. Um, but you know, it doesn't matter whether you're running a, a three or four day camp or whether you're running a high school program or an AAU program, whatever. Um, there are, there are so many instances in your interaction with players that go beyond the game. Yeah. You know, how they handle success and failure, how they behave in the hotel, how they, you know, are there, do they keep their rooms clean? Are they going to make the, are they going to make the, the, the hospitality staff clean up after them? Are their towels going to be in seven different spots? Um, and so you got, you got somebody, somebody's mother or father that has to, that, that's working for the hotel that has to come in and clean up this mess that was left behind them. Yeah. Um, you know, how do, how do they act? How do they, you know, I think those are all, that's all part of the, part of the puzzle. That's great. You know, kind of teaching them accountability to that degree where it's like, uh, if you can control anything in your life, it'll be how you act, how you conduct yourself, how you think and how you process thought. And as coaches, if we can just be there for them, uh, to help them with that, I think that provides opportunities in and of itself, uh, to be just a, gr- a good human being a good productive member of society, whatever, I guess, whatever that means, productive member of society. I I just, we have a general idea of what that means, but uh, I think you you catch my drift now. Uh, How can coaches, other than just being active listeners and being there for, for players, how can coaches assert themselves more in these times to understand the complexities of social issues? Well, I think you have to, you have to start reading. Um, There are so many, uh, great books and, and whether they're, they're speeches or different things that you, that you go online and find. But 
but educate yourself about um, the origins of these issues and and the history of these issues. I don't think you can fully understand. None of us can fully understand what's happening today without understanding the origins and where these issues came from. You know, from where they came. Uh, whether it's uh, you know, right now we're we're I think far more aware of social injustice than we have been in 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 the past 10 20 years perhaps uh, but you know there there's a book I, a couple books I'm I'm reading right now one is called The Color of Law by Richard Richard Rothstein which details uh, and it's a it's not just an academic work but it details you know the um, the codification of, of segregation in our society that that whether it's local uh, state or federal um, laws have been passed that were intentionally uh, segregating the races. Mm. And, wow. you know, I mean, when you start looking at, at issues of zoning and redlining and all these different things, um, it gives you a better understanding of how we got to this point, that, yeah. that it, was not, it was not de facto, it was de jure, that government mm. did this. Systemic. And and yeah, yeah, that's what that's basically what systemic means. That it's not it's not like systemic in in sort of ideas. No. that that you know ideas have have taken root. It's in the bricks of our our legal system, our right. laws. Right. And uh, you know whether it's uh, uh, you know as I mentioned, whether predatory lending or all these different things. Yeah. Um, it, it's in the bricks. And it's going to it's going to take a, a concerted effort to get it out. It's it's not just gonna it's not somebody being able to say, well, uh, you know, there's opportunity now. Look, things are so much better than they were in the '60s. Well, <laughs> they may be better, but they're not. They certainly aren't living up to to the ideals uh, of this country, and far from it. No, that's just to pacify some and to appease people's conscience in a sense when you. Talk about that, about, well, you you know, they you look at y'all, you're all over TV. You've got millionaires more per capita now. You know, you should be happy. Uh, you should be satisfied. Like, that's kind of that idea, and it's pretty sad to have any human being take that approach. Now, you're, you're reminding me of a, of a quote from George Orwell where it says, who controls the past controls the future, who controls the present controls the past. And, like, you're talking about it's built into our fabric. And I think that's something for coaches out there to be very aware of that because it's not here again. You talk about systemic and you kind of defined it naturally in that, yeah, it's it's woven in. It's not something that you can easily just get rid of by changing people's thoughts and hearts. <laughs> it's something that you, you know, litigation, whatever the case may be, have to do it. And so, uh, man, I appreciate you expounding on that. Now, Jay, how important is your support system given your busy schedule? at home? Well, it's everything. I mean, it's not just support for what I do. It's, it's my life, you know, so to me, it's not, it's not, uh, uh, you know, my support system allows me to do all these things. And so I wouldn't be anything without, without, you know, my, my family. So that's the, that's the first thing for me. And, uh, and always has been. Uh, So I don't, you know, I, I hope that we're all supportive of one another that uh, and I think we are that each one of us in our in our immediate family has has specific you know 
hopes and dreams and you know goals that that each wants to achieve and I think we all are are uh, very supportive of that and, and we all make make time to be there for one another but you know we don't look at it as any one person you know that, that here's my support system it's just here for me um, it's uh, it's a mutual support system yeah no that's fantastic I think that's uh, that's the whole idea of family we, we as coaches and programs we we preach family and uh, it's it's always I don't know it's interactive and it's uh, reciprocal like you're talking about those things are really important because uh, when you look at your wife, your daughter, and your son, you know that there's this shared experience taking place, and that's life. That's real life. That's life happening in real time, not just existing. You're actually living. So that's good stuff. Now, Jay, what have you learned about yourself throughout your career as a broadcaster? Wow, that's uh, that's an interesting question. I, I you know I think I've learned that. Uh, that I've got some staying power, you know, that I, I, I wasn't in this just for a short period that, you know, I really enjoy it and I've taken a long view of things. Uh, so I've been pretty patient in the way I've built, you know, built my, uh, my career in this, uh, because I wasn't in it for the short run. You know, I started in radio and, um, and sort of worked my way up, but I, I had another job. So I worked basically two jobs for a time, uh, until I went full time in this. Um, so, you know, I've, I've been pretty patient and pretty persistent. Uh, so I guess I've, I learned that I had those, those qualities. Uh, I didn't, I didn't look at broadcasting the same way. I mean, this has been, uh, something where I, like, I knew I wasn't going to play basketball forever. Uh, you know, no matter how long your career is, you know, that's not going to be your life's work. Yeah. Uh, but I've kind of made this my, my life's work. I don't know that I'll, I don't know how much longer I'll do it. You know, I'm 56 years old right now. And at some point, uh, and I don't know when that's going to be, but at some point the travel, the amount of travel will become, I can see, you know, maybe I'll say I've had enough of this. Yeah. Not the, not, not the job. The job's great, but what goes with it, the only work in my job is travel. Mm-hmm. And at some point I can, I can see saying eh, I've had enough of that. Yeah. Uh, but I haven't hit that point yet. I just knowing myself at some point, you know, I think it happens to everybody. You're going to go, I don't, I don't think I want to, I don't think I want to be on planes every day for, for six, you know, for six months, like, like I am now. Yeah. I remember when my dad turned 60, I asked him, dad, what's the difference between being 59 and 60 he says, I have to put up with less stuff. Now, the older I get, the less I have to put up with. So yeah, I can completely understand that now. Well, you, your dad was right. Like the older you get, the, the, you know, you realize like that, that when, when people say don't sweat the small stuff, yeah, you know, you kind of realize like, I, you know, I don't need some of this stuff. Like some of the people that, that, you know, th- this person is aggravating. Um, you know, some, sometimes when you're younger, you put up with that stuff because yeah. you think, well, I have to, and then you get older and you realize, you know what? I don't. And, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with saying, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, this person aggravates me. And so instead of addressing it, which is not going to change anything, I'm going to get away from this yeah. and exit the situation. Um, that's, that's, I think age is really helpful there. Yeah, no, for, for sure. Separating yourself from, um, I don't know, irritation. That's a good, that's a good, good, good quality. I think in, in most people when they learn to do that now, 
my last question. I asked you this question on on the on the uh, Zoom call because I felt like if, okay, if I have an opportunity, and he's right here right now. I'm going to ask him this, but I'm going to ask you it again, but in in a, in a way that I think uh, you know we talk about legacy and how we're talked about and how we're seen and how we're viewed. And I think here coming from you and hearing you, you know, your family is is really who you're really keyed into. You know what they think about you, what they say about you, but. I really want to know, Jay, uh, when it's all said and done, when your career is all said and done, when your life work is all said and done, what would you want people to say of you? Uh, well, I mean, part of part of me, part of me wants to answer that by saying I really don't care because I'll be gone. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, like like part, part of it is, you yeah. know, sometimes I hear the the term legacy and all that, and you start yeah. thinking, well, legacy is kind of a hoity toity word for somebody to to use about themselves right, right. Um, as if as if you know what chapter in the history book is going to be about me um, <laughs> I don't I don't look at it that way I think when I'm gone <laughs> I'm not sure anybody's going to notice oh, uh, and, I, and so. I think that's no but I think that's I think that's actually a good thing you know <laughs> what I really concern myself with is the idea that that um, whatever you know I want to I want to have an impact on people now Right, and so so whether it's my kids or or uh, the the people I come into contact with when I, I run a camp or I do these uh, coaches leadership programs or all these different things, you want to have a positive impact now. So if you can help someone, that's great. But uh, I I don't want somebody uh, like like to me when you you know you're sitting watching somebody get an award and they tick off you know, 20 people that have helped them. I mean, it's really nice. I'm not suggesting it's not, it's not heartfelt and wonderful, but, but who does stuff for that reason? Right. So that you can be a, you can be a name said in a, in a two minute speech. Um, it, it, that's not what it's about. And, you know, to me, like, you know, if you can help someone and then they wind up paying it forward to help somebody else, that, that, that's as good as it gets for me. Uh, so I don't really, I don't really think about, you know, how am I going to be remembered and all that stuff. Hopefully, hopefully if, if you are remembered in any way, uh, it'll, you know, somebody will have a good laugh. Like that, that's what I would prefer is, uh, is they, they have a good laugh and like, remember when this happened or, or something like that. I, I would prefer that. Fantastic. Jay, thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate it. Uh, you really adding value to the platform, just like every other uh, guest we have on. So again, Jay, thank you so much for your time. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you.